From the Medical Republic, I'm Francine Crimmins. This is The Tea Room. For years, Australian GPs have had to hold memberships with one of two colleges, the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners or the Australian College of Rural and Remote Medicine. But now, these two colleges are about to lose their monopoly on a key service which they have provided to their members, and that's managing their continuing professional development. Today, Jeremy nibs on how the recent changes to the Health Insurance Act could open the market to other organisations taking GP members away from the bigger of the two colleges, the RACGP, and the splinter groups that are already trying. It's Friday, February 12. Jeremy, thank you for coming on The Tea Room. Pleasure. Jeremy Nibs is the publisher of The Medical Republic. So, Jeremy, I was hoping that we could start by setting the scene. Obviously, currently GPs have to be a fellow of the RACGP or ACRAM in order to attract high Medicare repayments and have the title of either general practitioner or rural generalist, depending yes. on what college you go through. But slowly, it seems like this relationship is changing and, you know, this hold that the colleges have been given over time is actually causing a lot of frustration. What have you found out in this area? The, the main thing is is that uh, until the recent announcement uh, about CPD homes, you had to be in ACRAM or in the college to have your CPD monitored and, if, and reported to the government. And if it wasn't reported to the government through that central spot, you couldn't continue to get your higher rebates. So in a way, you've got a, you've got a system a um, virtual monopoly system that the college has been running since the late 90s where, one, the government said, well, to to be a GP, you now have to train through the college and get your letters. Two, to stay with this high rebate and confirm that you're a GP, you have to do CPD through the college, have it tracked, monitored and reported back. So that's been a virtual monopoly for the college. That's why the college has grown, because GPs, we've needed a lot more GPs. And that's really mandated membership growth and revenue growth for the college. And as you've said, they really get the cash through the beginning of that training journey because at the moment there are those two choices. You either go through ACRAM or the RECGP and that is massive because people train for anywhere between two and say five years depending if you do it full-time, part-time. And then on top of that, you're paying these fees for ongoing CPD. But as you've pointed out, uh, that change in the Health Insurance Act will come into effect in June, which will basically mean that you don't need to be an ongoing member of either college and it could mean that other organisations can do your CPD for you. So what are the other offerings at the moment of these colleges in terms of charging that ongoing membership fee and why you would stay if they're no longer doing CPD for you? Well, that is the very question Will people stay and why will they stay? If you go back in the history of the college, the college was originally mandated to recruit, promote and train the the GP workforce for Australia. And then it was given this mandate where you have to be a GP and then you have to do CPD. So it was given this ongoing money stream. And from that point on, really, they just started building members and money. And at a point, they expanded their scope beyond the original mandate to, to, to recruit and train GPs properly. And they, they literally had a lot of, a lot more money and I, I, I assume they sat around as a board and said, what else do we do? Um, they would have looked to organisations like the British 
Medical Association and said, look at them, they're powerful and influential, they do all these things, maybe we should do these things. And they started doing them. When they started doing them, they didn't think that carefully, I don't think. They, they did some things which were not related to their core mandate, their original mandate. But I think the worst thing that happened is, you know, five or six years ago, they started saying that they would, would take on advocacy and lobbying seriously. The RACGP is completely constrained from actually being able to do that because the RACGP's mandate to grow and make money comes from the government. They're not going to bite the hand that feeds it. They never have. They've never been effective at lobbying. So I think one thing important to say in all of this is the college does a lot of really important things well. Until last year in the exam stuff up, you would say that, you know, they did recruit and promote and oversee the training of GPs really well. Yeah, and they're really in a bind in some ways. I When I look back to interviewing all the candidates ahead of the RECGP presidential election last year, I asked everyone the question, you know, what is the most important going forward for the college? Is it education, advocacy or government? I would say that everyone said, you know, they're all important for their own reason. Mm. But I think that now we're really hitting this critical moment where the RACGP has always been quite good at education, as you've pointed out. They've always been good at recruitment. But now the clincher is that general practice is the most unattractive specialty to Australian medical graduates. And it's unattractive because GPs are paid the lowest of the medical specialties. And unfortunately, it's hard to focus on education and recruitment when you can't get the recruiting numbers because you're not doing the advocacy which allows higher MBS rebates. So it's really difficult in that sense. And then, of course, with the changes in CPD, though, I wonder, do you have any indication of how many people would be willing to exit their existing (laughs) college memberships? Um, No indication, but it's a very interesting situation. Um, If I was on the board of the RACGP and, and, and I wanted to continue this thing like it's been going for many years growing and you know we got a lot of money to do all sorts of new things every year um i'd be a little bit nervous i'm not saying that the board does do that i think the board's quite committed the board of the rscgp and the leadership of the ag rscgp have been have been trapped in a paradigm where they're making more money and they feel like they have to deliver more value they're going off course on their original um, reason to exist, and that's pretty dangerous for an organisation. The figures we've done say says they've spent $50 million in the last five to six years trying to say to everyone, we're down in Canberra, we're going to get you better paid. And they have done really good work on health system reform research and where GPs should fit in and how chronic care should work and how everything should be interrelated. They've done great work to give that to the government. Problem is, the government doesn't care because <laughs> the government's like, well, you know, we can pay GPs better or we can put a new shiny hospital in this electorate. And if we put a new shiny hospital in that electorate, that's a state government decision. I know this is federal governments that pay GPs. But if we do that, we're going to get elected. We don't feel threatened in any way, like we do sometimes by pharmacists. So, And I think part of what's feeding into that for the RACGP and for GPs is that the demographic of being a GP, the business model of being a GP, why you be a GP and whether you're an employee or an owner is changing quite substantively. There's a lot more female GPs, there's a lot more part-time GPs, and I think what you've got is a lot of GPs who love doing it. It's an interesting job, but they only have to do it a few days a week. 
and they don't get paid as much as they want to get paid, but they don't get paid disastrously and they can take their other time and do other things. And I think you're getting an increasing population of GPs who are going, okay, we don't love what the college does for us. We're not engaged with them. We don't think they're good value, but hey, I like being a GP. And I think that's one of the things that will maintain recruitment. But, but you don't hear that message actually much from the college. It is also very reasonable that some people just want to go to work yeah. and do their jobs. And yeah. really, we know that a lot of GPs out there are really passionate about their clinical practice or, you know, running their day-to-day clinics. And they may not want to get involved no. in the political advocacy yeah. side. And really, that is no different to any other workplace. You know, yeah. not all journalists yeah, yeah. not all journalists are a yeah. part of a union. Not all yeah, uh, exactly. people hold a, a political yeah. card. So it is a little bit tough on the GPs yeah. to think that they also yeah. have to and do I think, their own political advocacy. I think- GPs and not shamed, but they're guilt. They're made to feel guilty about this. They're made to feel guilty about the fact that they're not getting very proactive. But the reality is, for most workplaces, is they just want to go to work, do their job, maybe do it part time, have a good time. They enjoy their patients. They've got good spread of work. Um, but going that extra mile, um, they just go, "Oh, I'll pay nine hundred and forty-five dollars a year. That's okay. It's not very good value, but it's okay." So I guess, Jeremy a lot of these issues have really come to the forefront in the last couple of weeks. There's been somewhat an online explosion and and maybe it is just the few GPs that are particularly politically engaged. And what's been happening is on social media, as a lot of people would know, there's a Facebook group called GPDU, which has been, or GPs Down Under, it's been a non-official GP hub for some time of, you know, GP advocacy yeah, and conversation. Offline, online, offline. Uh, yep. People really enjoy chatting on there, whether it's, you know, about clinical or otherwise. But in recent times, it's been seen as somewhat more closely aligned with the RACGP. And that's because one of its co-founders, Dr. Karen Price, is now president of yeah. the college. Yeah, maybe unfairly even, to be honest. Like, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, it's just a a spokes thing for the RACGP. The problem for GPDU and the RACGP is it's a little bit like what you see in America. When people start saying it, lots of people start believing it. GPDU still has a massive group of doctors on there. There's over... Six or 7,000. Oh, there's 8,000. Oh, jeez. Over 8,000. So it's quite significant. You know, when you look at that in terms of RACGP engagement, they have twice the amount of doctors engaging on their platform that voted in the last RACGP election. That's quite significant engagement. I think probably, I I don't know the actual day-to-day, week-to-week, but I think they have very high stats of engagement. But as you mentioned, there are these other, you know, somewhat splinter groups starting on Facebook now. So one Victorian doctor who ran in the last RACGP presidential elections, Dr Chris Irwin, he's now started his own group online. It's called Chris Irwin's General Practice, Protect GPs, Protect Australians. And in just a couple of weeks, he now has about a 1,000 members. Some of these groups, in a lot of ways, are facilitating those grassroots discussions for GPs in a way that both the major GP colleges haven't been able to in a very long time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, and there are there are other groups as well, but this one has been a bit of a lightning rod for quite a few people. And I think I will mention that Dr. Chris Irwin, who was on the on GPDU, got kicked off GPDU. He got removed. He got you? kicked off GPDU. Yes, um, he didn't tell me that, by the way. Um, for the record, uh, I got it confirmed from two other GPs. I'm not allowed on it, but I said, "Can you tell me what happened?" And they said, "Yep, he was there and he was gone." And then there was an explanation that he was promoting his organisation 
GPDU deemed that to be a commercial organisation and under their policy they kicked him off. Now, that actually might be true, but it's not a commercial organisation. I'm guessing it's sort of like the RSCGP, what he's doing. I can't imagine it won't be a non-for-profit. The look of that is pretty bad for GPDU. That's, I think, where you're getting a lot of people saying it's a, it's a vehicle for the RACGP now, whereas it used to be... It used to be like the the underground resistance. It was the underground. It was the resistance movement. So for anyone who may not have seen what's been happening online lately, could you explain what is it that this splinter group of sorts is trying to do and what kind of backing do they have so far? Do they have, you know, financial planning? Are they are they trying to be a college? What is the actual plan? Um, my un- I don't have detailed understanding. The first thing people say is, oh, this has been tried before. This was done with a you know, general practice owners group ages ago. They just get all huffy and puffy. They get a thousand or two members and then they they fade out and drift back to the mothership. I think the problem with that is the context. Like I said before, the way GPs operate and look at things is changing. And then at the same time, the GP, uh, the uh, RCGP might be about to lose its monopoly. And, you know, things are in in just, just in a lot of flux. And I think it's getting a lot of people's interest and... To your question, they're very singularly focused, focused on two things that I understand. Nothing else. All they want to do is get GPs paid better, which is going to be really hard given what's happened with COVID. But they also want to get GP in a, in a much better place in the pecking order of health system reform, especially in the, Fed, in the Fed, Fed's mind. Now, Feds like GPs. You know, they see them as a great thing. But the Feds just use general practice. General practice never hassles them. And what... This organisation is saying they're going to do is we're going to be scary for politicians in Canberra. We're going to play hard and dirty and none of this nice stuff because we don't need to be nice because, you know, we're not, um, you know, we're not on the board of the RACGP and have to be respectable and have to live a life over here recruiting and promoting GPs and doing all these really important formal services for general practices. And on the other side, you know, sit in a room and threaten the health minister. It actually sounds like if a group of motivated GPs could take on the torch of lobbying for GPs in Canberra in a really significant way, that could actually be a massive relief to the colleges in a lot of ways. Because then they can really focus on what they're excellent at in recruiting GPs, in ensuring the future of the workforce and making sure that they continue to advocate for all of the brilliant things that they already do in Canberra. So that is absolutely such a good question because essentially if this organisation could be at a distance from the RACGP but was somehow supported and, and funded by the RACGP, then you would get you might end up with effective lobbying and a whole paradigm shift for general practice. And that's the, the sales pitch of this new organisation. The real test here, if this all goes starts happening, is will the RACGP leaders, are they going to be able to convince the board and all the people who have interdependencies to give up on some of that stuff and change what the RACGP has been doing for the last 20 years? Will the leadership of the RACGP stand up and go and look at this thing, take it seriously, engage with it at least, and think maybe this, maybe we should all get aligned here? If the RACGP fights it and there's some sort of political battle here, you'd have to think the RACGP's really going to get itself. You know, people would just get far more cynical again about them, depending on how good this new organisation is. So 
absolutely fascinating times for general practice and for the organisations running it. Jeremy, thank you. Cool. Thanks very much. It was interesting. For more commentary, you can read Jeremy's editorials in the Saturday edition of the Medical Republic called First Draft. And don't forget to subscribe to The Tea Room so you don't miss an episode. See you Monday. Thank you.